So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, and we worship you as we've already lifted up our voices in adoration. We bow our heads now in expectation to hear of you. We are thrilled with your promise that says that your word never returns void. My prayer that the truth of Scripture would pierce hearts this morning. As we together as a body, but as a body made up of individuals, we would be granted a courage from above, a, a, a courage from your Spirit, a courage from the truth and power of your Word to live, to act, to talk, and to walk in a way that is totally different than the world is living right now. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for the faithful ones that have come this morning. We thank you for the men who have preached recently, Matt and Josh. We thank you, Lord, for your word that, that is alive, that is quick and powerful. Father, we ask right now that as your children are bowed in your presence, you would grant to us a renewed awareness and understanding of who you are, of where our home is, what you've called us to do, and how you've called us to live this morning. Father, I plead for help personally. Please guard my mind. Please guard my mouth. May everything that is said and done be for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this amazing and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Four points this morning, all four of them coming directly from Scripture. Number one, it says in verse 6, and you can underscore this, we, that's us, gathered together, we are always of good courage. Whether it be the church in Corinth two millennia ago or the church in Lock Haven today, first century or 21st century, we as followers of Jesus are called to be faithful in a ferocious world. Perhaps, arguably, there's no greater word for us right now than this word. There's no greater thought or reminder in a day that we find ourselves living in. And it's no shock or surprise that fear is rampant. 
what? Thus, repeat it twice for us. Both verse 6, so we are always of good courage. And again in verse 8, yes, yes, we are of good courage. The word is the re- oh, it speaks of confidence. And some translations use that word. We're always of preaching, it's one thing to say, be confident, be bold. It's one thing to say, be courageous, but how? Like, how does that happen? How do we do that? March the 4th, 1933, in his first inauguration address, it was actually very short, 20 minutes long, 1,883 words. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR. In one of the first lines of his speech said, and I quote, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief. And there's this line that he gives with that great accent that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. You know, it's no doubt that that call, that cry, rallied the nation, rallied the troops on many occasions over the next decade. It's only fear. But it's still fear. And there's something that's real. Have you ever heard a bump in the middle of the night that you're just like, yeah, that just doesn't belong? Something. And there's this striking terror. Like, wait a minute. What's happening? Even when you were a child, think of this. How many sleepless nights the boogie monster has kept us up. And we got to admit, he's good. We've never seen him. I mean, under the bed, in the closet. He is really good at what he does. He strikes fear. There's an enemy, in a sense, that continues to strike fear in us, and yet oftentimes it's in that which is not real. It's that which is not seen. For much of the spring of this year, we studied much of the book of Exodus, if you recall that. Certainly, it was a wilderness journey that seemed to equate where we were. A wilderness journey that in many levels, it seems that there is no end. And after the book of Exodus, the narrative, the story continues on into Numbers and and Deuteronomy and Joshua. And we know that after this prolonged time in the desert, God instructs Moses to send 12 men on a reconnaissance mission to spy out the land of Canaan. If you recall, they they returned after 40 days with one cluster of grapes that was so big it had to be tied on to a pole and carried on the shoulders of two men. One cluster of grapes. It was described as what? As a man, as a land <clears throat> that is flowing with milk and honey. But the report 
of ten spies was this, but the people are strong and the cities are fortified. Interpret that we are afraid. It's impossible for us to enter the land. We will never defeat that enemy. And yet there were two men who saw exactly the same thing. One of them, his name was Caleb. And he spoke this in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. He says, we are well able to overcome it. There was another man, you know him, his name is Joshua, who spoke in Numbers chapter 14, verse 8. And he says, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and he will give it to us. You know, the little Sunday school song where 10 were bad and two were good. What you never read about in that song is that, you know, those 10 guys, this doesn't make it to the Sunday school song, that were terrified. They took that message of fear and they spread it throughout the entire camp. We're dead. We're dead. We're cooked. We'll never make it. What never made it into the song is that God actually allowed all 10 of those men to die of a plague, interestingly enough. Why, in a sense, there's a message here that God wants to teach us. Even in the type of faith that Caleb displayed, even in the type of faith that Joshua displayed, if you fast forward to the time that Moses is handing the reins to to Joshua, I mean, this is the man, Moses, who was not going to be there any longer. And as Joshua is advancing into enemy territory, we have this famous portion of Scripture in Joshua chapter 1 where God himself is speaking to Joshua and he says, Be strong and courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. He repeats it again. God himself being careful to do everything according to the law that Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it. Don't turn from your left or your right that you may have good success wherever you good, wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it. Day and night have not I commanded you. Again, he repeats it, the same thing. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You realize one of the most repeated phrases in all of Scripture. Second, only to rejoice. Number one command in all of Scripture is that we are to rejoice and praise God. Number two is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Hundreds of times. Joshua advances into enemy territory. Can I ask you a question? Isn't that what we are called to do? Isn't that what we are supposed to be doing? Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6 of spiritual warfare that we every single day, every single day that God has granted us new breath and life, we are to advance into enemy territory doing the work of the gospel. Which means what? Offering grace. Offering hope. Offering love and help and comfort and counsel and encouragement. 
Yeah, but you don't realize it, it can it can really be hard. Yes, I understand that. It is hard and it can be scary. That's why Paul's words are of such importance for us this morning. But thankfully, it's not just a blind have courage, but rather Paul unpackages the reason for our courage as he directs our minds to certain truth. As believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have courage because we know something. We know something. What is it we know? We know this. While we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. What does that mean? It means this one thing. You and I, although created in the image of God, do not share all of God's attributes and characteristics. We are not omnipresence. I hate to burst mom's bubble, but there's really not eyes in the back of her head where, where she can be many places at many times. You can only be at one place at one time. And guess what? If you are listening to this message this morning, you are absent from the Lord, but you're present, present in the body, which means what? Pinch yourself, okay? You got flesh and blood there, cut, and it bleeds. That's, that's us, which means we have certain needs. You need air. You need food and water. We need one another. You need sleep. When we're in this body, we have aches and, and pains. And there's sunshine and storms. In this body, that's what we're in right now. That's what God has called us to. We know that. We know. Although we are absent from the presence of the Lord with Him in glory, it's okay. We also know what? We know how the story ends. We're okay. There was a young pastor I certainly can identify with. His name was Timothy, and he struggled with fear. And he was what? Graciously taught. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So in the middle of what? In the middle of uncertainty and the craziness of what is happening around us, the sickness, the anxiety, the anger, the fear. If it's not the virus, it's, it's the politics. Yet we know, we know. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 33, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations, which means what? We can plan till we're blue in the face, but you and I know we don't have a bit of control what's going to happen tomorrow. It's been proven to us. But God plans, God's plan always works out according to his perfect sovereign will, which means what? We have got to come to a place in our own understanding in our own life. God is either in charge or he is not. God either has a plan or he doesn't. It's going to boil down to what? This is tough. Faith. 
Strip everything aside. It's going to boil down to whether or not you trust in his word or not. Which leads us to our second point directly out of scripture. We walk by faith. Not by sight. This truth hinges, if you notice this, between what? Two references. This is verse 7, verse 6, and verse 8. Remind us of this good courage. This, this, this verse 7, this is the cream. This is the double stuff in the middle of the Oreo. We walk once by faith and not by sight. It's interesting the way that this is actually worded in Scripture. This is not calling you, please, you need to walk. This is not pleading with you, please, please walk. It's not doing that. This is not saying, we hope you walk. It's not saying that. This walk is expectation. This is what we do as people who are breathing air. There is what? Steady, forward, Progress. That's what a walk is. Go for a walk after what? A couple minutes. Wow, I didn't realize I've been walking that. I have covered some serious territory. Steady, forward, progress, trusting in the unseen. Which backs us up to some previous verses that we looked at earlier. <clears throat> in the end of chapter 4, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. Eternal speaks of what? That which is to come. And we know that. We know already to be what? To be away from the body. We're home with the Lord. So, so when we no longer, what? You can't, you can't pinch and feel. You're not flesh and blood. When you are away from the body, you are going to be at home with the Lord. Let me ask you this question. Does that comfort you? Knowing that when this here, you have, no longer exists in this form. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are with. Does that bring peace? Settledness. Does it bring a sense of, of just rest? You breathe deep, sleep well. That's a yes, no answer. Knowing that when you no longer exist here, you're with the Lord. Yes, I'm at peace with that. Matthew Henry said it best. When he said, I quote, true Christians, true Christians, if they duly considered the prospect faith gives them of another world's, and the good reasons of their hope of blessedness after death would be comforted under the troubles of life and supported in the hour of death. They should take courage when they encounter the last enemy and be willing rather to die than live when it is the will of God that they should put off this tabernacle. My dear church, I have to say something that I know will upset some of you. When it comes to this very day that we are living in, 
And I don't want to sensationalize, glamorize, but the day of the unknowns. A virus, an economy that's uncertain, and political uncertainty. Even the very fact that tomorrow many kids go to school and we don't really even know what entirely the school year is going to look like. With, with all of that uncertainty, we have Christians, some, I believe, sitting here this morning, who are in all-out fear of dying. Well, if it's not you dying, then it's all-out fear of a loved one. I'm fine, but it's my loved one. That people are living in fear getting sick and dying. Now, I am not saying, okay, so what we need to do is we need to ignore precautions. I'm not saying that. Don't put words in my mouth. I'm not saying disregard wisdom and live foolishly. But I am saying this. I am saying that if you are fearful, if you're struggling, you're living in a constant state of unrest and turmoil and worry and anxiety, you are forgetting who your Savior is and you are forgetting where your home is. And we cannot, we cannot do that. It says in Scripture, we would rather, we would rather, which means that if we had a choice, which we don't have a choice. God is the one who makes that choice. But if we had a choice, I'll take heaven with my Savior any day. And yet many people are living right now and longing for heaven here on this earth. Rather than groaning, as Matt preached last week, for our real home. Groaning. For heaven. As you as you long for comfort here on this earth, if you live for safety and the pleasures of the here and the now, you are losing precious time and you are also confusing the rest of the world of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So what do we do? Number three, we make it our aim to please him. Verse nine, we make it our aim. Now, now we are to live. This is our entire life with the hope that, that our actions, that our words, everything, everything we do, every place that we go, every conversation, as a matter of fact, every word, we live with the hope that our actions will bring delight to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not like church, Jesus, is like a piece of the pie. Okay? And I, and I got work, and I have family, and I got my playtime, and my free time. My, and then, like, we just, that is not it. That is totally wrong. That's idolatry. This is not Jesus. This is not following Christ as a piece of the pie. This is what? It is the whole pie. People understand, in the midst of a paralyzing pandemic and swirling chaos, enter what? Enter people of calmness and people of control, self-control. In the midst of craziness, enter what? People of 
peace and power. Revealing that we are living to please Jesus. We are not living to please ourselves. Did you hear me? We're living every moment, every breath, every dime, every minute. Not to please yourself, but to please our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the very first series I ever, ever preached at Bigwood's Bible Church. Back in 2011, we spent several weeks on on the church in Ephesians chapter 4. And I introduced with this, and I remind you what Paul tells us. What the Holy Spirit says to you and I this morning, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And you walk what? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. In love, chapter 5 continues on. What? Be imitators of God as beloved children. Here it is again. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Which means every step we're willing to give up our own desires for the sake of Christ. Because that's what Christ did for us. And we're what? Followers of Christ. We call ourselves Christians. I wonder, I wonder. How identifiable is the church of Jesus Christ today? How distinct is our life from the life that other people live? How unique? How different? When it says what? We walk by faith. And this is not believing in the unbelievable, but it's living every moment in light. The fact that what? What? We are living our life based in confident trust on the promises that God has given to us about our future. Don't worry about your future. God has you in control. God has you in his hand. God has you safely in anything that you experience. We recently spoke in chapter 4 again. Yes, it's hard. It's hard. We're not saying this is easy. But, but this light momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing us for the weight of eternal glory. And close your eyes and just pause for a moment of the glory of God, the presence of God with no weakness, no sickness, no worries, no brokenness, no death, no fear, no sin. And yet for some reason, for some reason, many are missing out on trusting in that truth. Thus the reason that there is, and I use the term very clearly, a jarring conclusion to this text. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know if you picked up on it or not, a very, very important observation. Did you pick up on how many times as we read these verses, how many times the pronoun we was used? We are, we know, we walk, we would, we make, we must. It's it's ten times, ten times in just five verses. I thought about that for a moment. I, I love the we part. 
I, I love the togetherness. If it was ever like an individual sport or a team sport for me, I'm going team all the time. We love the we. You ever, ever walk someplace scary when you're by yourself? Path in the woods, it's kind of getting dark. You hear something standing, it's like, whoa! I mean, it's just all off. Like, what, what? If you walk the same path the same time with one other person, I'm holding her hand. That's a big bear. I'm a big guy. I'll take care of you. And there's something about that we that all of a sudden, we're okay. Now multiply that. You ever walk somewhere as an entire team? Oh, I remember. There used to be something called malls years ago. I remember our baseball team, late 80s, we had these like royal blue, like satin shiny jackets with, you know, the letter and your number. You walk into some place as an entire team, you better just watch out. There is nothing that we are afraid of. What's interesting here is that according to this text, there's a very, very important lesson that you and I need to be reminded of. When the moment comes for us to appear in court before King Jesus, and we will all appear before him. I believe this is the moment that, that believers stand before Jesus. You hope to be here as opposed to later in Revelation when people stand before God at the great white throne. So we are all going to stand before the Lord. But if you ever notice this, I don't know if you picked up on it, that the each one is in place of the word we, which means what? We are not going to be judged as a team. We are not going to be judged as a family. Like we're together, like we're together. No, no, no. We're not even judged as a church together. We're not judged as a denomination. We're not judged as a state. We're not judged as a country. And there's been what? There's been some horrible teaching on the fact that, well, well, we're safe. Our country was based on Judeo-Christian principles, and so we're safe here. Or what? Because our family, we, our whole family went to Sunday school. My granddaddy was a preacher. Everybody's granddaddy was a preacher for some reason. And so there's this idea that we are together. No, no, no. We are together right now to prepare us for that time that each one, each one will stand before the Lord to give an account. You have an appointment. Mama can't go into the doctor's office with you. Not on this one. This judgment seat in Greek, it's the word bima. Bima seat was the tribunal bench. <clears throat> a Roman centurion would, a Roman leader would sit in a courtroom. It was elevated and he would render um, judicial verdicts. It was often as well at time at Olympic Games where what? Someone was awarding an athlete who, who receives a prize. In, in the coming age... Christ will judge as his heavenly father's representative ruling the kingdom that has been given him. 
It emphasizes the fact what that that today, presently, every day, our actions, our choices, and decisions, every decision will have eternal consequence. Every word, staggering thought, will have eternal consequence. Again, let me inter, inter, intersect that this is not determining salvation. This is for believers. It's determining obedience and faithfulness or lack thereof as we've been called to it. We wonder how much we do, and God knows the intent, the sincerity of what we're doing. Is it in sincerity? Is it in love? Is it truly sacrificial? Is with the motive behind that what makes us look better, more spiritual? We have to, in a sense, what adjust the thinking of how we live our lives. The morning of May the 20th, 2000, it had rained and it was a damp day. 40,000 college students, 40,000 college students had gathered on a grassy field outside of Memphis, Tennessee. There was a conference called, called Passion. One day, it had been foggy. And yet for some reason, it was oftentimes described later on as people look back as a moment. They said it was a special moment. It was a holy moment. They actually referred to what? It was a time where people felt the weights of glory. There was a message preached there by a man whose name is John Piper. the pastor at that time of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. He preached a message that in a sense physically faced every single challenge. It was, the grass was wet, people weren't sitting and they were wandering around. There weren't enough porta-potties. It was windy. Piper talks about the fact that his, his notes actually just blew away. Some of his notes just blew away. He said it was the largest crowd he'd ever preached in front of and he was nervous. And so he prayed that God would, what? Just, just speak, the spirit would reveal. And he told this story of two women, Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards. He said how he had just found out their church had supported these two women as missionaries in Cameroon, Africa. And he had just found out three weeks prior that both women had been killed in an automobile accident. Brakes went out, literally going around a corner on a mountain, went over the cliff, and they died. He spoke of Ruby Ellison. She was 80 years old. She had been single all of her life. She was a nurse. Yet she poured her life into one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in one of the most hardest, most difficult places to reach in the entire world. Laura Edwards was a medical doctor who had retired from the Twin Cities. And in her retirement... She went to Africa partnering up with Ruby. She also was pushing 80 years old. Told the story of how they were driving on this mountain road. Brakes go out. And in a moment, they're in eternity. And Piper asked this question to 40,000 students. I ask you the same question. Is that a tragedy? Is it a tragedy? 
Next, he said, let me tell you what a tragedy is. He pulled out a paper from Reader's Digest. And he said, this is a tragedy. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. He said, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler. They play softball and they collect shells. He said, that is a tragedy. He goes on to say, there are people in our country, and today it's the truth, who are spending what? Millions upon millions of dollars to get you to believe and buy the American dream. And yet what? I am saying this morning the same message, do not buy that dream. Do not buy that dream. Because you're going to stand before the Lord one day. And what are you going to say? Here's, here's my shell, here's my seashell collection. You like that? Are you pleased with that? C.T. Studd said what? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There is a call and a cry, just like there was... In Memphis, Tennessee, 20 years ago, there is a call and a cry today for you and I not to waste our lives in fear and, and longing for something that is the pleasures of temporary what? Worldliness. Rather than the glories. Every breath that God gives to you is a gift of his grace. Paul himself was preaching and said this in Acts chapter 20, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I understand living in total abandonment from this world for Christ. That's a lot. I understand what walking by faith, to be absent from the Lord, focusing on the unseen, focusing on the eternal. That's, that's all really, really radical truth. Therefore, what? It must be based in something. And it is. And you and I this morning have the privilege of remembering what it's based in. In the death of the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, it is what? Of great significance. And when there's so much conversation about which is unseen, Jesus, actually with his disciples, said what? I'm going to be going away from you. I'm going to be leaving you. I'm not going to physically be here any longer. So what did he do? He said, I'm going to give you something. I want you to hold on to. I want you to remember this. I want you to smell it. I want you to feel it. I want you to taste it. I want you to eat it. They were sitting in the upper room. After they had finished the meal, he took some bread and, and he broke it. And, and symbolically, he said, this, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat it. 
That just sounds crazy. That just sounds, what do you mean, eat the body? Yes, yes, symbolically we ingest and we live as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In addition to the bread, took the cup and he he poured out the cup and symbolically says, I poured this out. This is is a picture of what's going to happen to me. This is my blood. My blood's going to be poured out for you. And we know that what blood is what holds life. Blood is what gives life. And Jesus, what? He passed it around. They took a sip. And they drank it. And said, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. Every single time until we meet again. You know... I'm not negating the fact that we live in a difficult and a very different time. I'm not ignoring the fact that there is fear, although we don't see oftentimes it does exist. But I'm encouraging you right now to remember what Jesus Christ has done. I'm going to ask you, hopefully you prepared with your, your cup, and you received one of those. If you did not, you can pick one up in the baskets up front. I'm going to just ask that you take a moment in quietness. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, that you would search your own heart. We would take a few moments just in quietness to have a, a time to stop the craziness and pause on Christ. He gives us the courage to move forward. After we pray, I'm going to ask that we be careful in this moment. We don't do it quickly or flippantly. We don't do it jokingly. But we realize that we deserve, we deserve the suffering on the cross. And Christ loved us so much that he suffered so we could live. Jesus was tortured so we don't have to live in fear. Jesus rose again. He was seen by hundreds of people so that we have the hope of knowing that when this body that we live in comes to an end, we will be with him. And we will be with him forever. Let's bow our heads. Let's take a moment of silence. And I will pray. Father, we are most grateful for this moment you've given to us as your children gathered around the table as family. We thank you, Lord, that you're a heavenly father and that you offered your son to suffer and die on our behalf. We thank you for the body of Jesus that was broken and for his blood that was poured out for our salvation. And through that, Lord, and through that truth of knowing that we serve a risen savior, we can live with great confidence and great boldness and great courage. 
as we now take this bread and, and drink this cup, I would pray, Lord, that you would renew in us courage that can only come from you. Forgive us for our times of fear. Forgive me. Times where we doubt, we question. Times that we waver, falter, even fall. We thank you, Lord, that you love us unconditionally. You pick us up. You forgive us. And you desire to use us for your glory and the extending of your kingdom. We thank you for that. Bless this bread and this cup. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, it speaks of this as Paul was instructing the Corinthians. He said, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the very night on which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said this. He said this. This is my body, which is for you. Do this. Eat this in remembrance of me. It says in the same manner also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, drink this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And there is nothing, there is nothing that gives more courage and acknowledgement of that. Matt, why don't you come and close us in a word of prayer. May the Lord bless you.